So I prepared a, a sermon on uh, dealing with uh, how, how do we respond when we are dealt the hand of misfortune, disappointment, discouragement, failure, and I prepared a sermon. And just later in the week, I just said to the elders as we got together for a prayer meeting, I'm just sensing something different, that we just need to focus on the love of God. We can have some testimony. So I'm going to speak a little bit about the love of God this morning. It's a shorter message. Uh, I'm sure some of you are grateful and thankful for that, but... <laughs> Uh, but, but if we can go to um, Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15, and let's have a look at that. I... No, that's not Mark. <laughs> there we go. Thanks. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming. All the other translations, it's only the NIV that says proclaiming, says preaching. Jesus started his ministry after his baptism by John the Baptist. He started his ministry by preaching the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. Yeah, that's the essence of the gospel is the good news is the coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near. And the kingdom of God, the good news, produces joy and happiness. When the proclamation of the word takes place, there should be a joy and happiness. When in Luke's gospel we see, right at the beginning of Luke's gospel, there is gladness and joy. When the angels came and announced the coming of the Messiah, there was Good tidings of great joy. The shepherds rejoiced in the good news. At the end of Luke's gospel, after Jesus had been ascended on high, the disciples returned and they were daily in the temple praising God and blessing God with great joy. You see, the gospel is something about joy. And down through the years and down through the centuries, wherever men and women have given their lives and handed their lives over to the Lord and have accepted the good news, there is gladness and joy. Gladness and joy. But looking at some church services today, mm -hmm, there is not much gladness and joy. One Hindu observed years ago, some church services that took place. And this was his comment. These people have a religion that makes them miserable. They are like a man with a headache. He does not want to get rid of his head, but it hurts him to keep it. <laughs> That's kind of what some church services are all about, eh? When Jesus came preaching, there was the gospel and that produced the good news of God. So I want to just share a little bit about what the good news is, and I, I want to share a little bit about the, the, the love of the Lord. I want you to know this morning that God loves you. That God loves you. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave. When Jesus came proclaiming this was a new kind of love, this was a new message, and it constantly gave the assurance of 
God's love for each one of us. God is from everlasting to everlasting. His power and his goodness are evidenced in every single way. But he loves you more than an earthly parent. He's become, uh, he, he's made you his child in Jesus Christ. He loves you. Listen to what he says in the high priestly prayer of John 17. This is the New Living Translation. He's praying. This is the great prayer of Jesus. I in them and you in me, all being perfected into one, then the world will know that you sent me and will understand, listen to this, that you love them as much as you love me. That is just the most extraordinary phrase. That the Father... Whew, I just like that the Father loves you and me as much as he loves Jesus. That is just profound. Us, with all our idiosyncrasies, strangeness, weird personalities, false failures, that he loves us as much as he loves Jesus. I mean, just thinking about that just boggles my mind. The Sunday school year started, and all the kids were registering. There were two seven-year-olds that came into the class, and the Sunday school teacher was taking their names and their birthdays. And there were two boys that didn't look similar, but there were two boys, and said, we're brothers, really Brothers from the same family? Yes, we're brothers. How old are you? No, we're both seven. Okay, so tell me your birthdays. The first seven-year-old said, my birthday is on the 8th of April. And the second guy said, mine's on the 20th of April. <laughs> and the teacher said, you're both seven. And you're born 12 days apart from one another. No, that can't be. And the quieter one of the two brothers said, one of us is adopted. Before the teacher could really put a handle on his tongue and control himself, he blurted out, which one of you is adopted? And the boys looked at one another. <laughs> and they said, we, we don't know. You know, we've asked our dad. And he says he can't remember because he loves us the same. Hmm? That verse. He loves you and me as much as he loves Jesus. That's just the most profound thing. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. That's verse 17. I'll get to the later verses. Now that we are God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You see, Paul here is making a comparison of adoption. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are adopted into God's family, we are adopted brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, fully adopted children of God, and we will share the same inheritance as Jesus. It's a profound thing, the love of God. Max Licardo wrote a statement, and I'm going to read it to you. 
if God is mighty enough to ignite the sun, could it be that he is mighty enough to light your path? God is for you. Not maybe, not has been, not was, or would be. God is for you. Today, in this hour, in this minute, at the second, as you listen, he's for you. He could not be closer to you than in the second. God is for you. As you run the race of life, you turn to the sidelines, he's there cheering for you. As you look to the finishing line, he's there applauding your steps. As you look into the stands, you see him shouting your name. Are you too tired to continue? He'll carry you. Too discouraged to fight? He'll pick you up. God is for you. If God had a calendar, your birthday would be circled. If he drove a car, he'd have your name as a bumper sticker. If he had a tree in heaven, he would have carved your name on its bark. If God had a refrigerator, your photo would be on the door. He sends you flowers every spring. He sends you sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he's there to listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, but he's chosen your heart to live in. God has a tattoo. It's on his hand. And your name is on his hand. Isaiah 49 and verse 16 tells us that. I've written your name on my hand, declares the Lord. If you didn't hear me before, I want to tell you, God loves you. His faithfulness is incredible. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22 to 23 says this. Did I give you that one? No. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. When we face challenges, I want you to remember what God has done in the past. As you remember the faithful way in which he's led you to this place. When the Israelites were experiencing the harshness of Egypt and the bondage of that place, they remembered what God had done in the past. And they remembered that he is faithful to his word. If I had to choose some of the great biblical heroes, I would possibly choose Moses. I would choose David. I would choose Peter. But I want you to know, one is a murderer. One is an adulterer and a murderer. And one denied Jesus Christ publicly. Despite those failures, God took them, worked them through the situation, and blessed them because he loves them. No matter what failures you have, he loves you. In the Song of Songs, it is a song written by between a husband and a wife, just their love towards one another. It really is uh, it's kind of a prophetic book about God's love towards us and our response towards him. 
and in chapter 4 of the Song of Songs, in verse 9, this is what it says. The, the groom is looking at the bride. Can you imagine Jesus looking at us and repeating these words? You have stolen my heart. <laughs> wow. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of a necklace. You have stolen the Lord's heart. He loves you. The hairs on your head are numbered. He loves you as though nothing else in creation matters. And Jesus believed that as he communicated the good news. He believed in the incredible, unsurpassing love of God for you as an individual. Every single person was of supreme worth and value to God. It formed the basis of his entire ministry. It thundered through in his judgments, especially towards the Pharisees. It was the theme of his greatest parables. It was the motive behind every healing and every miracle. It was the reason why he went to the cross for us. He loves you. Let's finish off by looking at Romans chapter 8. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus started preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's only the first part. There is a second part. And the second part says, repent and believe. We need to get to that place, not, not feeling remorse because I'm, I'm guilty and I, I'm feeling bad about this, but repentance means I'm turning around, I'm turning away from the sin that I'm walking in and I'm going in another direction. That's what repentance is. Repent and believe. Believe means much more than intellectually believing in the gospel. Believing is giving oneself and becoming loyal to this thing called the kingdom of God. Willing to become subjects of the kingdom. In every area of our lives, God needs to be your ruler. And the sole purpose that you have is to glorify him. Remember the song? Going back to the heart, it's all about him. It's all about him. You've heard me say this. Um, Rick Warren, who wrote that book, The Purpose Driven Life, first few words of that book, it's not about you. Who is it about? It's about him. It's about him. just want to finish off with a, an illustration. We get into the place, especially after yesterday's wonderful weather, how things change in the Cape Peninsula so quickly. Who knows? But yesterday, it was beach day. There are three types of people that go to the beach. There are those that 
have their flippers, their snorkel, their boogie boards, their uh, surfboards, and they're out in the depths and they're enjoying the water. When they come back, they've got goosebumps all over them and they, 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 their hair is wet and they're tired because they've been out in the depths. There is another group of people that go to the beach and those are the spectators. They sit on their towels and they sit on their deck chairs and they read and they talk and they never decide to go swimming. They stay out of the water altogether. If they get too hot, they go and have a shower rather than go into the water, that sticky salt water. And then there's a third bunch, third group of people, and these are the most miserable. They come prepared to swim, but they cannot bring themselves to plunge into the water. They run into the waves until they get to ankle height, and then they turn around and they return. And they envy their friends that are in the depths, enjoying themselves. They are afraid to jump in. They're standing, shivering. They are undecided. They are ankle deep. And without the courage to plunge, and without the sense to retire, they stand there ankle deep. Three types of people that go to the beach. There are three types of people that come to church. The first type are the swimmers. They've taken the plunge. They've given everything of themselves to everything they know of Jesus Christ. They're out in the depths of faith in Jesus Christ. They find great joy in the gospel. They beckon others, come and join, come and join. Then there are their spectators. They're disinterested. They are the guys that are match, hatch, and dispatch. You know that one? Marriage, christening, burial. Those are the guys. They decide not to give themselves to Jesus Christ. They stay at a safe distance. They occupy themselves with the things of the world, with their businesses. They work for a company for many years, and then they retire, and nobody misses them, and they think, what was it worth? 40 years. And then there's the third group. These are sad souls. They stand, and the only thing they experience is the spray. They're interested in Jesus, but they are afraid to take the leap of faith. They read the Bible, they pray occasionally, they come to church once in a while, they hear the good news. They long for love, they long for God's forgiveness, they long to experience his salvation. But their contact with Christianity leaves them feeling wet and cold. That's it. Which group are you in? I want to invite you to come and experience the love of God. We're going to have a few testimonies now. And then we're going to pray at the end. If you're in any of the other two that aren't in the depths, that aren't experiencing the wonder of the water, the depths of the sea, I want to encourage you to come. Make that decision and experience the love of God and know the joy of his love over and over again. So, testimonies. There's two testimonies that I know, maybe three, 
But if you want to speak about the love of God, please, I want you to come forward and to share with us. So, Joy, you're first. Okay, everything I had planned to say has gone out the window. Because <laughs> as they've been talking, I feel like God's been downloading other things. So I've made some notes so I don't forget what I want to say. <laughs> um, okay, so as I speak, I just encourage you to remember everything that Carl has said and Richard um, in light of what I'm saying. Um, okay, so... If you truly believe that God has led you to this place right now um, and that there's no mistakes that you are here, um, this week we had on Thursday a little gift that walked into our lives. Um, Craig works for Novus Holdings in um, Montague Gardens in town and this little brown-headed parrot walked in the front door. And he was weak, and he was tired, and he was hungry, and he was painfully thin, exposed to the wilderness, the elements, if you think of what Carl spoke about earlier. Um, he'd had a real wilderness experience. And here he came in, and at just the right time, because if it was another day of the week, Craig wouldn't actually have been there. Um, and the secretary at the front door was experienced in birds. She actually owns an African grey. And me, myself, I've grown up with birds as well. Anyway, we found out about this little bird, and I went in there and I said, does anybody want him? Can I have him? <laughs> because I wanted to nurse him back to health again. And um, we went straight to Bird Haven on the way home. And they said he is so, so thin, and um, I mustn't get my hopes up because he's probably going to die. And then I thought, no ways. My God is powerful, more powerful than that. He's not going to die. And anyway, um, two or three days later, and he's as healthy as anything, he's active, he's happy. And, you know, if, if I look at this little bird and his life and what he's been through, he went from captivity into freedom. And so often we, we have that captivity to sin, and then we go into a place of freedom. But that freedom could lead us two ways. Either we abuse that freedom... And it leads us into that wilderness experience where we land up tired and weak and hungry and afraid. Or we, we can live that life within God's margins and um, we can exercise that freedom that we have in him but within boundaries. And um, I think that also just ties up with what Richard was saying that um, when we have that safety around us, that love of God around us, um, and we live according to his word, then things go well for us. But it's when we have that freedom of choice to go outside of that love, to walk away from it, that's, that's when we land up suffering. So I just want to encourage those that are here today that, are ha that have had a wilderness experience. God's love is there for you, and it's ready and it's waiting. And just, it's a choice. It's a choice to live within a margin, live within that standard that God has raised up, and he'll take care of you. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. It's awesome. And so now we've got Peter. I'll invite Peter up. Thank you, Joy. Amazing. Thank you. 
Hallelujah. Thank you. Who is blessed this morning? Amazing. Richard, thanks so much. That was incredible. And uh, it's a bit like when you come up here after a message like that, you think, should I actually speak? But yeah, I've got to fit in in three minutes uh, context of the last four years, so it's going to be interesting, but hopefully I can do that. Um, so for those who don't know us, um, we moved across from the UK about uh, uh, four years, well, no, three years ago. So, and um, I've had to write down here a couple of notes because otherwise I'll take forever. So uh, some of the challenges that we faced was one of the main thing we came back was for my dad is very ill um, at dementia. So I wanted to come back, have the kids experience him in that time and also homeschooling. So we homeschool. Um, obviously, finance came as a part of that, the challenges around that, and then and sort of like, where do you fit in? And so all of that came at one time, and that was, a, you know, at the time, incredibly overwhelming. And my, my wife, Christelle, also her dad, um, also a similar situation in Mossel Bay, and so she had to go up there. So there was a lot of this back and forth relation, like long distance, trying to build all of this happening at the same time. And so as that happens, the pressure started to build. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but what I saw, and, I, and it's sort of like you know that, is that when there is something not right, when the pressure comes, it comes to the surface really quickly. And that's what we had. And all of a sudden, that became somewhat a, a challenge to deal with. Um, and it was like a perfect storm, in a sense, for the devil. And by that, I mean as he started to sow doubt and confusion. You know, and it's those little things that you haven't dealt with, if you're left and you haven't that. And so these things started to, started to build up. Um, and uh, it wasn't long until, you know, we got into that place of friction where you end up saying things that you think, oh, it's based on feelings and I didn't like that and why is this and you haven't done that. And these things started to spiral. Um, and um, I realized, hey, I need a lot of help here. Um, because if you're going to leave this stuff, you're not going to deal with it or you're not going to do anything with it. It just is not going to go away and, and Satan is going to continue to hammer you. And so there's like four areas in which I focused on that helped me in that time. And the one was to really keep my spirit sweet. And that really has to do with identity. Because when the pressure comes and when the devil wants to have a go at you, he's going to attack your identity because all of this is going on. The circumstances are not your friend. And he wanted and he hit my identity and tried to hit it all the time. And, um, and I realized that there were two things that I needed to do. If I'm going to look at the identity, I'm going to fall. Because, uh, sorry, I'm going to, if I'm going to look at the circumstances, I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall hard because they're not pretty. And so keeping in this space with my heavenly dad and keeping my identity there and understanding, and you just heard an incredible number of verses and just what Richard said in terms of how much God loves you and, and keeping in that place, keep, kept my identity strong enough to be able to not be influenced or certainly not as much as what the circumstances were throwing at me. Um, and this is a, a, a and, and I've just made a note here that being in that place of worship, being in the place of prayer, being in the place of community, and it's not that I got these things all perfect, it's just I realized this is where I need to be. Um, and also being in a place where you have somebody to speak to and speak into your life, and their skulk and Richard have been incredibly, um, have been incredible help to be able to help me because sometimes you just cannot see the things you talk about blind spots, right? And sometimes it's just that Peter, you need to look at this, or haven't you not looked at that, or, or pray into this, and having that is incredibly powerful. Um, and um, 
so the other thing just tied to that is really about disqualifying. Satan want, wanted to come time and time again and disqualify me. I said, no, you cannot talk. You cannot pray for them. You cannot say anything because of all of this is that's going on. So, you know, being in that place of being careful not to disqualify yourself because of situations and circumstances. Because um, that's something that the devil really hammered me hard on and tried to break me down in that, that area. Um, and tied to that, obviously, is fear. And he wants to pull you back. And he wanted to pull me back into the dark corners and leave me there and make sure that that's your space there. Your space isn't a step out. But that's where you are because you're not good enough. You haven't done this. You've made bad choices. Or if you haven't done it, you haven't said that. So he wants to push you back. And if I felt that, I just wanted, he wanted to continue to push me back into those dark corners and say, that's where you belong. Um, clearly, that's not the case, <laughs> if you just heard this morning. So the second one was um, keeping short accounts. And that really is all about forgiveness and forgiving quickly. You know, one of the things that sometimes I felt was, uh, I'll forgive, but I first need to have this discussion with you and get it, and then, but it's a decision, it's got nothing to do with feelings. And, you know, time and again, again, Satan would come at me with feelings and say, you know, that thing that was said or that thing was done, you know, you're justified in, in your reaction, but it's not about that. It's about forgiving and making a decision, forgiving quickly. Um, and the, other, the third one was clearly identifying who the enemy is. Because when, you, when you're in that type of situation, when I was in there, and all of this is going on, you can attack the person. And you can have a go at the person. And you can say, but it's you and you, and it's you and it's you. And actually, no, the Bible's clear. Our, our, our fight is not against people. You know, the Bible talks about flesh and blood, but, our power, but against the powers and principalities in the heavenly realm. So clearly identifying, oh, my fight's not with you. My fight's with, you know, I know that's the devil, that's the enemy. And so that allows you to be in a place where you're much more in a place of peace. I found myself in much more in a place of peace when I was talking and I was dealing with all of this because I realized I'm not fighting you. Um, and then the other one, the final one that, uh, that was probably the most difficult was speaking life. We have this thing in our family where we say, how do we speak? We speak life. And by that, it means is that whatever comes out of your mouth either builds up or breaks down. It's not really a neutral place. And so being very careful about what you're confessing either over a situation or what I was confessing over someone or people or whatever was happening. So a lot of the times I wouldn't just say, I would just, wouldn't, I would just keep quiet because it's better than saying something that's breaking down. And that is, it's a tough thing to do when situations and the pressures are there. Um, but that is, that is sort of like the four things that I sort of like focused on and held on to. Um, and there's a lot in there, but those are the four things that really helped me. And out of that, I, uh, uh, I saw an incredible blessing that God gave and brought to us and myself personally into our family in the midst of all this craziness. And one of the things is that the relationships are better. They're not there. They're not perfect yet, but they are better. My three kids, because... Um, and I have Lydia, but my three kids have been blessed in um, what they do and the people that are around them. Um, uh, I just made a little note here. Um, there's my, my daughter, and just she's in horse riding. And with, it's just incredible how God brought people around her and fulfilled this dream and is busy with that and things that I cannot do. 
You know, I just, I can't do that. I don't know anything. But God's just incredibly brought the right people around, and he's done that for both of my, my, uh, for my boys as well. Um, and the house that I've been in, that I came to, was in a tough place. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't great, but it's getting there. It's moving on. Once again, God's brought people to help me in the process and to build that. Um, recently, uh, I've had a whole journey with my car getting that over from the UK, and it, it's been an up and down journey. It's been maybe we get it, we won't get it. And then all of a sudden, just quickly, God has accelerated things, things that would take months. He's done in weeks. Things where it was like, um, I don't um, no, sorry, we can't do that. Then it's booked it full. And the next day, I'd pray, I'd pray and I'd say, God, I need a miracle here. I just, there's nothing I can do. I've done everything. And then I would get an email. It's fine. It's okay. You can do it. We can do it then. And so um, the last thing we're standing for is finance. So, and we've seen incredible breakthroughs still in that time. We expect more. But there are incredible blessings that have come out just within um, our life and what we've seen in the midst of what looks like chaos. And so it's just testimony to God's love that I just wanted to be. You know, say those few things. Thanks. Sure, that was wonderful, Peter. And I can really attest being in Skullscom and just hearing Peter speak, yeah, that these are hard things. He's speaking about things that have really been lived and had to, like walking through swamp at some points to, to come to this place, yeah, and still four years on, on track and still loving God. Still want to open it up though, yeah. So is there, is there one or two more people that perhaps want to share? Three minutes. Did I see? Yes, yes. Okay. You can come up, come up, come up. I'm going to stand with you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so keep going. Okay, hi. I was sort of umming and ahhing about saying something because, yeah, I just was. But I thought if I come here this morning and God sort of leads me to talk, then I certainly will do that. Um, a lot of you know that my husband went through a, a victim. He was a victim of crime a couple of weeks ago, four weeks ago today, actually. And um, anyway, prior to this, I, I've had people who've been ill or whatever the case is, and I've taken the odd meal in my life to people. And yesterday, Derek and I were talking about tithing, and we were just saying that, how interesting it is that from the meal perspective, in this last two weeks, I have had meals from people I, ha I hadn't even met in my life before. I've had, this, this church has gathered together and almost every meal has been two meals. We've had like two nights worth. And because of Derek's injury, I haven't been able to, I haven't worked much. So financially, it's also just saved me <laughs> like massively because I do the groceries. And then this morning when I woke up, um, this was my, my scripture was on tithing. And then what Carl said, it was just like, I think maybe I must just say that God doesn't just, it, uh, literally maybe two meals or three meals I've tithed in my life. And I've had 20s back, I suppose. So it's, it's multiple. Um, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, he says. And I wasn't testing, but flip. Um <laughs> Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no room enough to store it. And, and literally, even the chap who came and worked for my neighbor in the garden, I had some food the one day to give him because we'd 
we just had too much for, for the three of us. So, yeah. Uh, is he, God has been amazing. So, thank you. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's so cool to hear as well. Anybody else? Yeah, did I see someone? Eugene's pointing. Who am I? Oh, come, Tanya. Sorry. Like, from up there, I'm looking across. <laughs> Tanya. <laughs> so my testimony is a very intimate one of how my God loves me, and he's the God of the detail. And... Um, those of you who know me, I love dogs. I love animals. I have three. They're all rescues that we literally, I go buy bricks. I see a dog that needs someone and I bring a dog home. That's me. So I've always wanted a little Yorkie. I think they're amazing little dogs. They're cute. They're fluffy. I can never afford one. And we have three dogs. So, just how oh God is so amazing. So, yeah. So, last week, my neighbors have a Yorkie. And last week, they go away on holiday. And they leave the dog alone. And they've got eight kids. So, this little doggy is used to everybody being there all the time. So, of course, my heart cannot allow this. And I say to Michael, get the dog, bring the dog here. And I phone the neighbor and I say, I've adopted your dog for the week. I'm looking after her. I will be shaving her because she was just, you know, you get people, an animal is just an animal. And then you get people like me where your animal is your baby. So I said, I will shave the dog and I will deflee the dog and the dog will stay with me in this week. This little puppy doggy thingy has crept into our lives so much. And we've managed to say that this little dog is a um, donkey. We are the godparents. The dog can come anytime. She's part of the family. Our dogs love her. She's just fitted in so nicely. And um, the nice thing is when they came back, they immediately came and fetched the dog. And we were all like, the dog's gone kind of thing and um, Friday night Michael has a party and as the neighbors girls come over for the party they bring the dog with and they go auntie Tanya here's Rosebud and they just hand me the dog and the dog stayed and had a sleepover and I'm just like so blessed yeah I have this Yorkie that I've always wanted but I don't have to really worry about feeding or all the other issues I still have my three dogs and it's just amazing that God loves me in the little things, even though I didn't ask him for it. So I just encourage you with that. Yeah, anybody else? I'm, I'm, yeah, Johan. Okay. Yeah, I'm so blessed um, hearing all these testimonies. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a testimony. I just feel, feel in my heart that um, what can we do? God gives us all of this love, 
um, through his son Jesus that, that died for us. He, he, gave, he gave us all these things and, and he gave us new life. So what can we do for him? And I got this image a bit earlier in the service about Jesus sitting in the morning. Um, imagine Jesus sitting in the morning there um, in the room where, where he, wants you, he wants to meet with you in your house, sitting there waiting for you. And, and then we are so in a hurry up in the morning and running around, doing everything, going to work. And we miss him. And he sits there waiting for you to spend time with you. So can we, can we commit to just spend some more time with him? Because he loves you so much. Thank you, Lord, for these incredible testimonies, Lord, that were not maybe even, I don't know, not what I expected in some ways, but just uh, that you're a God of the details, that you're a God who even cares for animals and for little birds. You know, and in so many ways, that's what you've said, that if we can look at the birds and you care for the birds, how much more do you care for us? Um, and that those of us who don't know this or struggle with this will be able to find um, they, they, that they are loved by you. Um, something I was feeling when Richard was, praying, was sharing was, you know, the world will tell you um, that you don't need God. All you need to do in order to be significant or to find your significance is you look within, you evaluate what your desires are, what are the things that you desire, what you want to achieve, and then you go out there and you achieve those things, and then you will feel happy and you will feel significant. And it's an absolute lie from the pit of hell, because if you look inside, most of us don't know what our desires are. Our desires conflict. We're human beings. They shift. They change. And people go online on social media and want 50,000 followers to be able to tell them that your desires are good and the life you're living is good and to affirm you and to tell you that you are significant and you're something, but it's all a lie and in the end it leads to despair, like this little bird that Joy mentioned. This was the image I had. Like a little bird, you'll become like this little bird who's starved and is almost on death's door, even as you're pursuing and pursuing and pushing and pushing and pushing to try to find your significance in money or in wealth, in, or in your academics, or in your achievements. And those are not bad things in and of themselves, but you can't find significance, or love, or your value in those things. Never. You will never walk away, even if you've earned all the money in the world, and feel like, now I'm a loved person. You'll not feel it, you'll feel alone. Like the scripture I read from Deuteronomy earlier, don't forget your God. He walks with you and he wants to take you, walk with you into the land or into whatever else you're going into in your life. You've got to know it, that God loves you. And that's the only way you will be able to feel significant or valuable. 